evidence and answers. The church is called to be the community of Christ here upon this earth, and every disciple of Christ is called to be a part of a local church body. There is no perfect church, but there are healthy and unhealthy churches. What does a healthy church look like? What are the characteristics of a healthy church? You're tuned to Evidence and Answers radio broadcast with your host, Pat Zucran. Pat is an author, teacher, and international speaker in the area of Christian apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith. Today in our broadcast, Pat and his guest, Pastor Corey Ishida, will discuss the characteristics of a healthy church here in part one of Marks of a Healthy Church. You're listening to Evidence and Answers, where we provide compelling evidence for faith and hope in Christ and biblical answers to the challenges of today. Well, the church, the church is called to be the community of Christ here upon this earth. Every disciple of Christ is called to be a part of a local church body. And well, we all know there's no perfect church, but there are healthy and unhealthy churches. What does a healthy church look like? What are the characteristics of a healthy body of believers in Christ? Well, to help us address this issue is Pastor Corey Ishida. Pastor Corey is a third-generation Japanese-American. He grew up in Pasadena, California. He graduated from UCLA with a degree in zoology, and he has been pastoring for decades. He has served as a senior pastor of Evergreen Baptist Church in San Gabriel Valley for over 40 years and recently retired in 2018. But he's a man who has pastored churches for decades, has been involved in church plants and helping uh, churches not only in the United States but around the world. So, Pastor Corey, welcome to Evidence and Answers. Thank you, Pat. My pleasure and joy to be with you. Yeah, well, Pastor Corey, you know, it's your first time on Evidence and Answers, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you entered into the pastorate. Okay, very good. Um, well, actually, I, be, uh, I became a Christian when I was a young adult, right after um, graduating from UCLA. I entered in as a pre-med major, decided after the first quarter that that wasn't cut out for me, and so I felt I was going to pursue the thing I really loved doing is coaching, and so I enrolled at a local college and uh, to get a teacher credential. And in the midst of that, God called me into full-time pastoral ministry. But before I can actually begin that adventure, my wife and I became pregnant with our first daughter, which meant that I had to go to work. So I worked as a pharmaceutical sales rep for five years, serving during those five years as a youth pastor at two different churches, part-time basis. And then after the fifth year, the Lord laid upon my heart that I should quit my job and go into full-time work, which seemed kind of difficult to me since I didn't have a seminary education yet. But then the, my uh, district manager came and said they're going to have, some, have to have some layoffs because they're downsizing. And I felt like, well, I had really should share with them that I think that God is calling me into ministry. So rather than me retaining my job, somebody who wasn't going to be leaving soon should. And then that became a remarkable journey because within three months after that, God called me to Evergreen Baptist Church after three job offers, which he said he was going to give to me which I then turned down, and, and the fourth one was Evergreen. Started there and never looked back after 42 years. Yes, tell us a little bit about Evergreen. It started as a church of, what, 40 people, I think? Yes, we were located in East Los Angeles because that's where most of the Japanese Americans, the, or at least the, uh, primarily the Issei's, settled pre-war and then post-war. And so it was a small church of about 30, 40 people on Sunday mornings. The Lord called me there, and the Lord just thrived the church. We grew immediately. 
it got to a point where we moved from a Japanese-American work to an Asian-American, English-speaking work. Uh, we had to move out of that area, so we moved to Rosemead. That, that was our first move. We grew and outgrew that facility. So then we hived the church and planted two, planted a church, and I became the away pastor with about 300 people, and we started another church family about oh, 10 minutes away in the city of La Puente. And that's when Evergreen SGV was born. But essentially, it was still Evergreen. And so for 22 years, uh, I was there. After serving 40 years as a senior pastor of Evergreen, I became the senior pastor of Evergreen SGV. And God, God flourished us. He really blessed us. And then I retired, uh, as you said recently. Actually, it was in 2019 I retired after 42 years of ministry. Yes, you know, and Evergreen Church has been a outstanding church there. And you've turned out... Uh, how many people can can you do you know how many you've turned out who have actually gone into ministry from Evergreen? We, you know, we eventually trained over eighty uh, full time oh. workers. Uh, I don't. I've had lost track as to how many are still in ministry, but uh, a number of them were senior pastors because that was really the thing that God called me to to focus in on was to train senior leadership or senior pastors for for ministry. And so we ended up planting uh, or helping plant seven churches. Evergreen SGV, I think we planted six of the seven, and each of them uh, we uh, planted with a pastor that came out of our midst. So the Lord really blessed the work over the 40-some-odd years. Yes, uh, it's been a great work there as I speak in Southern Cal. But, you know, across the United States, I run into Evergreen people many times where I'm speaking and, and serving. Well, Pastor Corey, you know, tell us, what are some of the key characteristics of a healthy church? Okay, when a, a person in our church says that they're going to need to leave our church because they're relocating, and they ask me about looking and finding another church, I give them, I start them off with two recommendations. Number one, on the first Sunday, discover whether or not they teach the Word of God. Do they preach from the Word? Do they consider it a, the final authority on faith and works? Uh, do they consider it without error? And uh, so you can usually get a grasp of that the first Sunday you're there, and then each succeeding Sunday. The second thing I tell them to look for is that the church love to sing praises to God. That is, is it a worshiping community that worships not only in truth, but also in spirit. So those two things I tell them to look for right off the get-go. Thereafter, it's sort of like an Acts 2 church that they should be looking for, a church that's committed to fellowship. Like the church I go to now, South Bay Community Church, uh, they emphasize Ohana ministry. That is, I think when they first planted, a large portion of the people were from Hawaii. And so they just developed this culture of Ohana. It is a large church, a fairly large church now, but extremely friendly. And I think they have that spirit of Ohana, which is really the, uh, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit within the church body. So I think that's another thing that's a mark of a, a healthy church, that people love each other to the degree where they want to fellowship and be with one another. Uh, a fourth thing would be, uh, does the church practice generosity? That's what the early church did in Acts chapter 2. You know, they, they even sold things to be generous with those who are part of the fellowship. So do they practice and do they believe in generosity? Uh, I think another mark of a healthy church is they're committed to the great commission of Jesus. I mean, they actually go out and make disciples, not only locally, but around the world. And so I'm a big believer in the church doing missions all across the globe. Another thing that I think a healthy church would do is bless the surrounding community. Like one of the things we did is we partnered with a local school to try to help them educationally, sharing Christ with them in the midst of that. And then I think the, the last thing I would say, based on the amount of time that we have together, is do they grow disciples? In other words, is there some sort of discipleship going on in the church where a young believer comes in or a new believer comes in and you help grow them into a mature person of faith? So those are some of the things that I think are characteristics of a healthy church. 
Yeah, that's a great list uh, you got there. And for those of you listening, you want to go through that list again, go to our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and you can listen to this interview with Pastor Corey at your leisure. Can I mention one more thing? Yeah. Uh, Regarding that, you know, when I first started, I didn't know what I was doing as a pastor (laughs) because I uh, I was just a rookie. I was 29 years old when I started at Evergreen. I was married with three children, one being a newborn baby. And so I wasn't sure what I was supposed to do. So I went before the Lord, and the Lord gave me like 10 scriptures. And he basically told me, make sure these scriptures are inculcated into the life and culture of the church. Mm. And that list came from those 10. And what I found out later on is they really the Acts 2 church. So I spent 42 years trying to make sure that those 10 biblical principles and things taught in scripture appeared in the church. Yeah, let's take a look maybe at the first one. You know, do they teach the Word of God? I mean, what do you mean there, do they teach the Word of God? You're talking about expository preaching and... Yeah, some sort of expository preaching where every Sunday the people who are gathered to worship God learn something about it. In Acts chapter 2, it says they, 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 surround, they gather themselves around the apostles' teachings. So I think it's really important to learn the Word of God because that's our manual for life. It's how we're supposed to live life here on earth. And I think there's different ways in which you can exposit the Scriptures. So one of the things that I looked at when I first started preaching is I looked at the greatest sermon ever preached, and that was the Sermon on the Mount. And so as I looked at that, I thought, you know, what Jesus really does is he teaches the biblical principles that you find in, say, the Old Testament, and then he applies them to the people, and he illustrates them. The certain amount is filled with illustrations and similes, and, and so uh, that's the way I, I tried to preach over 42 years. Take the Word of God, try to understand it, and then develop a message where it teaches the people from the Word of God how you live life here on earth. Yes, you know, the reason I wanted you to talk about that is because so many churches have gone to uh, what I would call the motivational kind of gospel, uh, where a lot of sermons mm-hmm. are topical and, and self-help oriented, and they'll stay away from those really tough topics. That's why I think expository preaching is really critical for the church today. Do you find a lot of churches moving away from expository preaching, or what are you seeing? Yeah, I think that there's there's a tendency to move away from that, and that's why at Evergreen we, uh, we went through books of the Bible. So like we spend a couple of years in the, in the Gospel of John, which then forces you as you go verse by verse or you look chapter by chapter, it forces you to, uh, to deal with all the different things that you find in Scriptures. You just can't pick and choose the ones you want to preach on that, or the ones that seem to be more self-help oriented. And like, for instance, uh, we went through Romans, where you actually have to go through the doctors, justification and other things. And I think those things are important for the people of God to know. And so when you go verse by verse or you at least look at the Scriptures in that fashion, applying it to life and illustrating it, of course, it does help you to cover all the things that God wants you to cover with his people as you feed his sheep. And I'm sure you face criticism from preaching and addressing some of those tough issues. What do you have to say to pastors who are tempted to go to preach more self-help, motivational kinds of messages on Sundays that will draw the crowds in? You know, a lot of them are, are driven... Uh, and got, they got a lot of pressure from their deacon boards uh, that they got to fill the pews and bring in the numbers. Yes. I'll give you a couple of examples. One example is I love preaching on stewardship or giving because it's in the Bible. And so I would preach uh, whenever the opportunity arose, depending on the text we were in, to teach on giving. And a lot of ministers stay away from that mm-hmm. uh, because they feel like uh, people feel that's a self-serving message. But it's in the Bible. And so I preached it, and I preached it unabashedly, and great conviction because I think there's, there's not only truth in, in the idea and understanding of giving and being generous, 
but also I think people grow through their generosity and through their sacrificial giving. And so on the first time I remember, the first time I preached a, a long series on it, I asked the Lord, can you just show me that this is what you want? Because I know people were kind of nervous about me preaching a, a series on giving. And then what transpired is every Sunday, someone came to know Jesus as Savior and Lord wow. through messages on giving. So I thought from that point forward, I was sold. Uh, I, I love teaching on that particular subject, but I think because I think it changes lives, even to the point where a person will confess their faith in Christ. And then when uh, things happen in our society, I think we need to be relevant through the Word of God. And so preach messages on things like abortion. And we had people leave the church because of it. Not yes. many, but some did. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to address those things because that's what people want to know. In this society today, the things that are going on, I think it's important for pastors to preach the truth of Scripture to the people so that they can have an understanding and grasp how they're supposed to live life here on earth in the times in which they find themselves. Yes, amen to that. You know, second you you talked about is the church a worshiping community. Uh, What do you mean by Mm -hmm. that? I mean, a lot of people just think about it, you know, the singing and all that. But what do you mean by worshiping community? I think a a disciple of of Jesus is a person who worships all the time. And uh, I think through your daily life, you are a worshiper of God, always giving praise to God, always including God, always giving your offerings to God on a daily and moment-by-moment basis. But I think on Sunday mornings is the time when God wants his people, his community of faith, to gather together to corporately worship. And so that's the experience most people affiliate with the church, uh, a gathering. That's what the word ecclesia means, the church, right? It's people being called out and that they gather together not neglecting to meet, as is the habit of some, the Scripture says, but gathering to stir one each other up to loving good works. And so I think that's what happens on Sunday mornings. So we worship continually through our lives, and then we gather corporately to inspire, encourage, and to learn about what it means to love God and love others in the society in which we live. So I think Sunday morning gatherings are, are important, and that's also when we get a flavor of what a sweet Christian fellowship is. And so one of the things that's going on in the in the church today after the pandemic because people are yes. staying home because yes. they've, they've gotten used to to a uh, live stream church on one hand thank god for for the technology we had during the pandemic because that really helped the church but today it's a challenge because some people would rather sit on their couch in pajamas yes. and worship the lord there and they lose the sense of fellowship that i think god intended when you look at the acts 2 church you're supposed to gather together and i think he means that in person and so i think now the churches are all dealing with the uh, challenge of bringing the people back into fellowship one with another, whether it be corporately on Sunday mornings or into their small groups or into times of ministry and, and fellowship at the church. I'm glad you addressed that issue. There's a lot of challenges, you know, that churches are facing because of the pandemic and so many people getting comfortable worshiping, you know, in the pajamas in the living room over there. You know, one of the interesting points you made that I find interesting, I, I did a lot of reading on marks of a healthy church, uh, you got one here. Do they practice generosity? Why is that one on your list? You know, one of the words that you see a lot in the scriptures is the word give. It's in a, a lot of various contexts, but it's a significant word how we're supposed to be givers, like God is a giver. And one of the things that says that we're supposed to emulate the Lord our God, mm. and he is a giver. He's a giver of all good gifts, the Bible says. And so I think giving is a, or stewardship of resources is a central theme of the scripture. I mean, it begins in, in Genesis. And the first assignment he gives to male and female is, is, steward, is a stewardship assignment, which means to manage something. And I think the resources God gives us, he wants us to manage and manage well or steward well. And part of that whole stewardship is the economy of giving, that from our proper stewardship, we are to give 
and give generously. You know, there's a thing called the prosperity gospel in the world today. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, there is a prosperity gospel. And Psalm 1 says somebody who's planted by that water, I mean, God will prosper them. But if you look at uh, Genesis chapter 12, when he commissions Abraham, he says that I'm going to bless you. Very clearly, I'm going to bless you. And then he goes on to say twice, so that you can be a blessing to others. One time he says, so you can be a blessing to other nations. So I do believe in one respect, there is a prosperity gospel in the Bible. And that is God is going to prosper us. But the reason why he prospers us when we're obedient and planted by that stream is so that we can bless others. It's not to accrue more stuff for ourselves, but it's rather to accumulate so that we can be generous and give to others, which is exactly what the Acts 2 church did at, at the very onset of the Christian faith, becoming a community of faith. So, Pat, I love preaching on giving because I know that when you give, you're testing the Lord, it says in Malachi. And as God tested Abraham and the test, the whole purpose of a test from God is to grow faith. So I know that when we give, God just God blesses us, but it also allows us to be tested by him so that our faith can be grown. So when our faith grows, when we give generously and sacrificially, I think our faith grows. When my daughter and her husband got married, I gave him a leather-bound journal. And in the journal, they were supposed to write down all the ways God took care of them in the early stages of, of their marriage. Because she was working, just starting working. He was still going to grad school. And uh, they already had a child, our first grandchild. And so, you know, within, within a year, they filled up that journal of all the ways God took care of them because they continued to give and to be generous. And that was the purpose of the, of the journal. Wow, yeah, that's a great principle there. You know, another one you state, which I think is being lost in the churches today, is making disciples or discipleship. I'm not seeing much of that in the churches today. What do you mean by making disciples, and how does a healthy church make disciples? I think the only way a church can really garner discipleship in the life and times of the church is by having people live life with other people. And that's where cell groups or small groups come in come into play where you're gathered with a small group of people, and then you, you study Scripture and you live life together. And then those who are more mature helps along those who are newer in the faith in understanding what God desires and how he wants us to live our lives. So I think that mentoring and discipleship is important. We did it with our children, and I did it with a lot of pastors in training of senior pastors simple formula that Jesus used in, in mentoring and discipling his disciples. And I think this takes some of the onus and pressure off of it. Which simply what you do is begin by saying, okay, I'll do it, and you watch. Then I'll do it, and you help. Then we do it together. Then you do, and I'll watch. And then you do it. For instance, that's how I trained up uh, pastors to do weddings and funerals. That was the, exactly the way that I, that I trained them up. Because that was the motto of Jesus as he worked with his disciples. And you can do that in, in general life. Like I did this with our children, and I'm doing it now with my grandchildren. You know, uh, I do, you watch, uh, I do, you help, we do it together, you do, I watch, and now you do it. I mean, you can, you can train up a young man to wash his car that way, but more important, you can teach them spiritual principles on how to live life based upon mentoring and, and discipling. Basically means you live life together, and you teach them what it means to be one who loves and, and does things in the name of Jesus. Yes, now, Pastor Corey, I think a lot of healthy church big factor of that, of course, is the leadership of the church. And, and so how does the leadership of the church you know, foster a healthy organism there, a healthy body of believers? Well, I think 
one of the principal ways leadership, so we're just talking about leaders, right? Right. One of the ways leaders can help foster a healthy church would be to really ask the Lord to help them to be a good example. You know, when Hosea says, you know, like people like priests, in one direction it means the people, the priests sometimes become like the people because they want to please the people. The other way it goes is that as the priest goes, so do the people. And I think leadership are like will be like the priests. And we can't allow the people to lead us, but rather we are supposed to lead the people. And so the only way you can do that is be an example. When I first became a pastor, like the Lord led me to First Timothy four. And what Paul told Timothy was, Look, you be an example. You're young. So as a youth, as a young pastor, be an example. And I think that's one of the ways leaders can lead a church by being an example of what a a fully mature or a developing Christian is like. I think that's really helpful. Paul himself said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, they're supposed to be like him because he's like Jesus. So being an example, I think, is a very important thing. The other thing is the leadership of the church, I think, needs to really make sure they teach the flock, teach the the people, the sheep, the Word of God. Again, Hosea says that people get destroyed because of lack of knowledge. So I think leadership needs to be a part of teaching community, where they teach their charge, Word of God. When I taught our children, and now our, we sort of help teach our grandchildren, you know, I read the Shema of God or in Deuteronomy 6, and it says you're supposed to teach people how to love God there, and uh, teach your family how to love God. And it says you're supposed to do it when, you're, you know, when you rise up and when you lie down and when you walk by the wayside. In other words, as you live life, you're supposed to teach people what it means to live God. So I was a firm believer in teachable moments where every day, almost every moment of every day, something happens where you can teach your children, your family, and your parishioners what it means to love God, what it means to do what God desires you to do. And so I'm a big believer in teachable moments. So if you live life together with people, you're going to have ample opportunities with these teachable moments and practice what it means to teach people to love the Lord their God when they're waking up and when they're walking by the wayside and when they're going to sleep at night. Another way is making sure leaders, I think leaders need to make sure they take care of their families. You know, Paul tells Timothy, a person doesn't manage their own household well, can't manage the household of God. And leaders in the church are basically managing the household of God. And so first and foremost, I think they need to learn what it means to manage their families well, because I think that's what God requires and desires for his leaders. And then um, I think leaders can also make sure that they... uh, stand firm on keeping the main thing the main thing. Yeah. And that is, you know, making sure that the gospel, the gospel is the main thing and not sometimes going off on all these little rabbit trails and into rabbit holes uh, on things that may are maybe good, but really aren't the main thing. So we need to make sure our church family is focused on the main thing and keeps the main thing the main thing as they live their lives and do all these other things that uh, sometimes are tangential but can be directed back to the main thing. And that is loving God and loving others. Yeah, and one thing I, f- I find that's a real challenge for the senior pastor and senior leadership of a church is to make sure, you know, that the leadership gets along. When there is tension yeah. amongst the leaders, I think the congregation can feel it as well. How were you able to manage and keep leadership on the same page and make sure things are the unity there? Okay, one of my primary responsibilities as a senior pastor was to make sure the staff was on the same page, the state on board with the vision and mission of the church. And I, I'm a firm believer that you know, staff needs to know each other and love each other and work together. So I practice seven Ps. 
I call them seven practices. Or, the first one was pray together. I think leaders need to pray together. Too often we meet together, but we don't pray together. Second thing is praise together. I think like in our uh, meetings, sometimes we have times of worship where we just worship the Lord together. That happened to be in song, but also you know, prayer is, is worship. Being in the Word is, is worship. But be a worship, a mini worshiping community. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us here on Evidence and Answers Radio Broadcast. We hope you enjoyed today's show. If you would like Pat to speak at your church, Bible study, or even schedule an apologetics conference at your church or location, give him a call in Hawaii. That number is 483-0586. Or you may contact him through the Evidence and Answers website. That's evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find we have a wide variety of different topics that will make for a great series. Use our search engine for available resources. We have everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism, including articles and additional audio for you to listen to or download. So be sure to share our website with those around you. To keep quality broadcasts like Pat's on the air, we rely on generous financial support from you, our listeners. For the opportunity to partner with us, once again, head on over to our website. That's evidenceandanswers.org, and you may do so right there online. Evidence and Answers would like to thank one of our sponsors, the Honolulu Christian Church. If you don't have a home church and are looking for a great place to connect and grow in Christ, check out the Honolulu Christian Church. For service times, log on at honoluluchristian.org. Join us again next time on the air or online as we provide compelling reasons for faith in Christ. That's Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucrat. Oh, 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 oh